to Nerds of the Round Table, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we are closing out Tricks and Treats Month with a accidental amazing choice. I wanted to watch a vampire movie named Near Dark that Shudder decided we weren't allowed to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so we're... So we brought. So my wife sh- suggested that we shift to the Lost Boys, which is probably a superior selection anyway. I just oh, like yeah. being weird and different, and was going to go. With <laughs> <laughs> well, we see where that's got us in the past. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've made many tactical errors <laughs> on our show drafts, yeah, but uh, we, yes, we had to swerve more than once, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, I my well my f- people who are in fantasy sports leagues with me could tell you I make I make bad decisions all the time in our drafts. Um, but so the Lost Boys is a nostalgic classic, uh, an era. I mean it's I mean it's a very memorable movie for this era of you know pr- probably adolescent <laughs> you know people. I mean this was I mean this was a special movie. People love the Lost Boys. And I was a little on the young young side to be seeing it. I, I think I was seven when it came out. I still saw the Lost Boys and watched it many times as a young person. I mean, it's it was definitely a movie that had a big footprint for for its time frame. And so I was I was curious. once she suggested that we rewatch. I realized I hadn't rewatched it as an adult. It was definitely a, a teen era movie for me. So I'm like, yeah, this will be an interesting rewatch. So I, and I'm really curious about you know what your all's reactions were because I'm guessing most of us you know we don't watch the Lost Boys constantly. So I'm wondering what the uh, what the revisit's been like. Yeah, it's a very, uh, an iconic movie. Yeah, this movie was so hot in 87. I mean, it was all over the place. It was all about the Lost Boys, all about Kiefer Sutherland and Jamie Gertz. Guys, this thing was directed by Joel Schumacher. We have bats, but no bat nipples. So. <laughs> yep. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Is, it, is this Pete Schumacher? Mm, probably. Probably this era. Yeah, I mean, because this he's really, this movie is hitting on, on most all cylinders, I think. Well, you know, Donner was originally supposed to direct this. And after piddling a bit, interesting. Donner was like, you know what? Nah, I've, I've looked at this movie too much. I need somebody else to do it. And his wife was the one that suggested Joel Schumacher. And Schumacher came in. So, I, he's, I mean, it's this. This is the perfect Schumacher movie. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. his sort of style and aesthetic. We're just, I mean, we're well, we're reviewing the movie before we're reviewing the movie. We need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, 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 before we move on to our next section, I mean, I want I do want to touch on that. I mean, because this is so stylistic. You know, it's so colorful. It's so vibrant. It's so, you know, the characters are just pop. You know, uh, and you have a wild cast: Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland, Jamie Gertz, both Corys. They brought both Corys out for this, guys. Yep, the double barrel Corys. Corey Feldman, <laughs> Corey Ham. You know, other other folks. I'm sure we'll discuss later. But uh, you know, it's, there's there's quite a few famous uh, and recognizable faces in this thing. My, I think my only competition for Pete Schumacher is maybe falling down. Yeah. Which doesn't feel like falling a Schumacher down. movie. It but, doesn't. It yeah. doesn't feel like a, there's a lot going on in that movie. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, yeah, it's not, you know, his typical fair. And it's not necessarily uh, a fun watch, but it's, yeah. you know, an amazing sort of artistic. Anyway, um, uh, we, uh, <laughs> I, boy, I'm making a mess of this, aren't I? <laughs> Gee, this is like older episodes with the rabbit trails. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes those come back. So as we're chasing our 100 rabbits, let's go chase our 100 seconds and keep it 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. 100. All righty, guys. But you so, know, maybe that's a good sign because it's provoking so much thought, you know? That's true. That's true. I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm up first on Keeping 100. So here we go. Um, so this week, my Keeping 100 is Foundation. 
It's a new series on Apple TV based on a very sort of beloved fantasy series by Isaac Asimov. Um, so here, here's sort of the like the you know broad strokes of the the plot here. So there's a dude named Harry Seldon who develops a special type of math, and yes, this is supposed to be an exciting series about math, basically. Um, it's a special type of math that allows him to predict the far-flung future in its broad strokes of history. And he sees that the di- dictatorial and totalitarian empire, somehow slightly benevolent, is going to come to an end in a short time. And then there's going to be dark age to come, and then like shenanigans ensue. So people are making plans, there's plots, all this kind of jazz. Um, but here's the deal. So I've only seen the pilot, the very first episode, because I started a new job and, well, <laughs> life happens. <laughs> there's been a lot going on. But the first episode was very impressive looking. Um, the way the the way they've designed the this futuristic like architecture and the way the worlds look and even the way it's been shot, uh, it's 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 really nice to look at. Um, it's an interesting take on the way an empire with advanced technology would work. There's there's some there's some unique stuff going on there, like with ha- how the empire is like you know is set up as a government. Um, the, the performances are good. Um, the conceit there's a framing narrative that's interesting. That I think that I don't think exists in the novels in the same way. Um, I'm definitely intrigued, and we'll be watching more. So my keeping hundred is Foundation. Yeah, it's definitely been on the radar. Yeah, yeah, I've heard heard good things. Definitely uh, checked out. Love some Asimov uh, content there. And um, and it <laughs> Foundation always gets criticized as like seven books about people sitting down talking. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there's already, I can already tell there's going to be a lot more action. Well, you know, there's that's one of the interesting things before I move on with my uh, Keeping 100 the, uh, there as I vamp here to set up my timer. Um, you know, a lot of your older authors are getting some love. You know, we, we have uh, Frank Herbert's Dune coming out and, you know, Asimov getting a TV series. And a lot of the, your old sci-fi is so intellectual. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's so much you know uh, talking planning what if problem solving um, you know science technology based uh, it's really interesting how they're adapting that to the big screens and these blockbusters now and even yeah. you know as, um, foundation this this is a series it's not you know your your, your typical blockbuster but it's you know it's just going to be a, a longer a longer form story and it and it's set up to be kind of. I mean, everybody, everybody's hunting their Game of Thrones. Everybody's trying to yeah. be the next Game of Thrones. And this, this is Apple TV's, you know, shot at it. And you can, you can feel it. It feels like they're going for that epic scope. And so, it's not going to work. I mean, it's not... It's not I mean, they, they, they don't have enough a big enough subscriber base to have the next Game of Thrones. But that doesn't mean it's not going to be a good series. So, I'm, I'm very interested to see how it's going to play out. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Alrighty, well, I'm taking off with my keeping it 100. And guys, I have this week have not had a chance to uh, consume anything at all other than the movie <laughs> prescribed. <laughs> and uh, I know we were talking before we logged in, you know, of our, of our time frames, like when we finished this, uh, you know, how recently to recording uh, some of us finished this um, and our notes. So I'm going to talk about an item, an object, uh, instead of uh, some uh, you know intellectual property. As I've alluded to, I, you know, I, I, I attempt to be a musician. I've got a few instruments laying around, and and one instrument I've been wanting for years is 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 a, a Paul Reed Smith, a PRS guitar. And I look at the price tag on these things. I'm a three thousand, four thousand, seven, eight, you know, five thousand dollar guitars, and like I just can't justify that with my talent level. And even at the talent level I'm at, I stretched a little bit and bought one of their cheaper SE models. And um, I'm going to tell you guys, these things, even though uh, the SC series is made in Korea, they're, they're a, it's where they're assembled, but they ship them back to the United States for all the dressing and, and finish work and, and touch-ups. Guys, these these instruments are beautiful. If you're a musician, I would highly recommend anybody to check them out. They have basses, they have acoustics, they have guitars. They, they're even venturing into the seven-string and baritone uh genre uh, you know areas for some of you you know heavier lower end players but that's just where i'm gonna go paul reed smith california made early 70s great guy all right he only has a few instruments <laughs> playing around jamie so 
fancies himself a musician, does he? <laughs> we try. We try. <laughs> oh, mercy. All right, gentlemen. So I will round out our keeping it 100. Um, you know, there's those times that I would love to go back to the pre-internet years of my life. Okay. But, you know, there's one thing this age of technology has really brought us. That's the online fan event. And I got a heaping helping of fanboy joy from DC's Fandome on October 16th. Almost four hours of trailers, sneak peeks, production art for the next generation of DC Entertainment. So the DCEU, we got Matt Reeves, the Batman, The Rock's Black Adam, Momoa's Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom, Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and of course, The Flash. You know, some of us never thought that would happen. Uh, we celebrated Smallville's 20th anniversary. We bid farewell to the cast of Supergirl and look to the future for the CW-verse and HBO Max. I even got a tease of production art from Blue Beetle. So I was a happy guy. Um, <laughs> It really was a fantastic event for comic fans and DC enthusiasts. So if you're interested in at least some of the highlights, all of this has been pre-recorded and you can find it on both DC and HBO Max's YouTube channels. So uh, there's a lot on the horizon for DC and uh, that's why DC's FanDome 2021 was my keeping 100 for this week. I, I had signed up for DC Fandom, and then I forgot which Saturday it was, <laughs> was and I wasn't aware of it until it was over. So like said, you can go, you can go back and watch every bit of it. It was all recorded, all the interviews, panels, discussions, trailers, everything's on there. So I just I I had never experienced it like because I I've I've sort of jumped back into DC this year. I've watched more of the movies. And I've I've been reading the comics on the DC Universe app. It's like I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna be a real DC fan and watch DC Fandom. I signed up. And they forgot. They completely forgot. Oh. Yeah, but um, yeah. I mean, there's I mean, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening there. And the the the, the Batman trailer. Every every second of footage I see from that thing gets me more and more excited for it. But I, I had a thought, and this is a this is the last rabbit trail uh, for the Uh-oh. next five minutes. Um, so. You're Blue Beetle, love, right? Yes. I've got, I've got, I've got a, a glimmer of hope for you. Okay. Is there a chance that Blue Beetle is DC's Hawkeye? A weird, weird little character that you know fans right. like me were big fans, you know, were loved, but nobody else did. Right. And then the right writer taking over the comic book, suddenly he's prominent. You you cast the right guy, suddenly he's prominent, getting his own TV show, and people love him. Maybe we just get the right dude writing a Blue Beetle series. Yep. Then we cast the right actor, and suddenly Blue Beetle's a big deal. It could happen. It'd be great. I would love it. (laughs) Well, JB, I'm glad you were excited about that Batman trailer, because when I showed it to Kendra, she was like, he ain't no Christian Bale. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know. So big. <laughs> see, I, I for me, it's as much as like you know, I think Patton's is going to be okay. It's also like, man, Matt Reeves should just direct everything. It, it looks great. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, we're not here to review DC the Batman <laughs> yet. <laughs> My weird thoughts about maybe how, how Blue Beetle could become popular. <laughs> Uh, we're here to review The Lost Boys, and so let's begin with our opening thoughts and grades. And Dwayne, you get to lead us off on this revisit of the 80s classic. Oh, this makes me so nervous, leading off this movie, because it's such an iconic movie. Although it has some flaws. I'm sure it was sex phone guy at the beginning, <clears throat> but we'll carry on. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's of an era, and that's what you have to take into account with this movie. And movies of this type, um, you know, it was so big uh, such a big deal and there's so much you know music there's so much 80s in there um i I loved it it was just a i mean it was glorious visit to that era i was i was looking back like oh man i so remember this music i so remember you know these these clothes 
these these kind of okay, you know these these punk attitudes with some of these guys. You know, let's just get the biggest earring we can get and stick it in one ear. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, the, of course, the mullet. I mean, you have some glorious mullets in here. They're all over the place. It's it's great, but you know. It's it's a little bit of fashion over content, but it's still so much fun and such an, an interesting uh, take on on your vampire hierarchy and uh, infiltration of a town. You could say, um, I'm going a minus, going a minus on this thing. It's not quite you know up there a plus, and, and you know and it, it is a little dated, but it's so much fun. A a minus. So next up is you. Sambo. Yes. Um, and, and honestly, Jamie, I was just thinking, it, it's too bad we don't do episode-specific awards because Best Mullet would had to be on the award list. <laughs> uh, for sure. All right. Oh, wow. There's so many to choose from. I don't know how I would do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right. Uh, you know, The Lost Boys is one of those movies that I truly think was on rotation during my teenage years. If it was on TV, if I went to the video store, Lost Boys got got rented a lot. Um, for me, this was a re envisioning, I guess, of the vampire genre. Um, you know, bringing Richard Donner into this as producer, Joel Schumacher's director. Um, this is the movie for me that put Kiefer Sutherland on the map. You know, yeah. this is the one where I recognized him as an actor. Um, and that's a weird thing to say. It's a vampire movie. But um, every time I watch it, though, I still find joy in the characters. I still find joy in the humor, e- even the story. You know, and Dwayne's right. This is definitely a movie that reflects its time. Uh, from the saxophone playing Lex Luger to Max's video store, <laughs> you know, that's that's every time I see it. I think of Lex Luger, guys. That's just the truth. Um, but – Nothing about that keeps me from loving the spectacle, the campiness that that's part of this. So I know it's some great inflation, but I went A plus on it. I just love this movie so much. All right. Um, <laughs> so I, I see. I think we're going to have different grades, but I think we all uh, having a lot of the same feelings about it. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I have, ve- I had ve- before before the rewatch, I had very fond memories of this movie. And it's not because uh, young, young Jamie had a huge crush on Jamie Gertz. Um, but I, I hadn't watched this movie in a long time. And it wasn't quite the epic, dark, creepy movie that I remembered. Um, I had, I, I, maybe I was too young to realize there was as much campy in it as there was. Um, maybe too young to realize how, how really how goofy the scenes with just the Corys in it are. <laughs> Um, but it's still it's but it's a it's actually a good movie and it's a very entertaining movie. Um, it's got flaws. Um, one that a, a big flaw that really bothers me that we'll get to in the pan section. But it's still a very very entertaining movie. I didn't regret a second of watching this movie. Um, I was a little you know not thrilled that I, we couldn't watch Near Dark. Because I, I, I want to hear your all's reactions to Near Dark. Um, but it's not just nostalgia. I think it is genuinely a good movie. So I'm going B+. Plus. Very flawed, okay. but incredibly entertaining. Yeah. Right along. Right on. Right along. Totally yeah, could as, buy that. As I was watching this, and I had really almost entirely forgotten this movie. It, and, and unlike Sammy, this wasn't a movie that was constantly in rotation with, with me and my group of friends. This was one, you know, it would, it would come and go. And then, you know, it just kind of left and, you know, it was forgotten for a while. Come up. Yeah. Lost Boys. Yeah. Lost Boys. Yeah. Okay. It's a great movie. Yeah. Cool. I remember that movie. Yeah. Cool. But and as I watched it this time, I remembered, Oh, how cool were the frog brothers how cool were these guys they were the best when i was this age and i'm looking at them like these guys are uh, they're they're so bad they're i mean they could be the worst part of the movie but they're kind of you know makes it great just because you know (laughs) but you know and i remember you know 12 year old Dwayne being like yeah 
do this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so good to have these experienced vampire hunters there to help them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, mercy. Yeah. yeah, it has its things, for sure. <laughs> And, and, and some things perspective help, and some things, you know, perspective was enlightening. <laughs> <laughs> yep, glad, glad we grew past that as a as a as a human race. <laughs> oh. yeah. Well, I mean, our, our grades were a little bit mixed, but um, we seemed very positive. Um, yeah. I was, I'm also positive. Grandpa's got some funk in that house, and he's been blown out by a fan. Let's see if we've got some fans <laughs> for this movie. Uh, we got some fans. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. Alright guys, I'm going to lead us off on our fan section. And, and I kind of alluded to this already. For me... The biggest thing is the Lost Boys reinvents the vampire genre for a new generation. I mean, think about it. We've got the moody vampire long before Edward Cullen ever comes on the scene, right? There is no doubt in my mind Joss Whedon found inspiration in the Buffy TV series from this movie. Spike, Spike could have been a member of this gang with no question. Proto-emo. There you go. Uh, You know, gone were the capes and the high collars and the blood, suck your blood type of thing, right? We get punk rock vampires in leather jackets and studded belts. That just made it cool, man. I mean, this is a hair metal band with fangs. And it's it's just so cool. I loved it. Maybe my baby in high school. Uh, mine, mine was a, this is one of the things I didn't realize as a young person for, for my fan. Um, because I, 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 like I said, I, I didn't realize the camp. Um, I was too young to realize some of what was going on with this movie. Um, but this is, ba- here's my thing. This is two movies in one. There's, a, there's like the junior high, you know, younger teen horror comedy with the Corys and the other, and the, and the spare frog brother. Um, but there's also the same time, there's the the creepy sort of edgy, tense, older teen horror movie. So we've got you know a Disney style you know horror movie and Scream pushed together in one movie, and they and they both work. Um, and and it, one of them doesn't feel like it's cheapening the other. It, they don't feel weirdly juxtaposed. They just both work. The whole thing with Michael and David and Star and the other Lost Boys, it works. It works by itself. And then, like, you know, the stuff with the frogs and and, and, and Sam, it works. And when they get pushed together into the same scene, it doesn't feel weird. Um, that's a pretty impressive thing that Schumacher pulled off. To be able to get both of those vibes going and those storylines and to cross them and, and to not feel like suddenly we're, you know, swinging around wildly in genre and tone. That's a pretty amazing thing. Um, and actually, they don't even... It's not just, it's not just that, that they don't detract from each other. They actually enhance each other. So, I, I, just, I, th- I mean, watching it again this time, it was, it was, it, I was just impressed. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting the way that he was able to meld, you know, almost like a mashup of a couple different uh, things, you know. Uh, and now, now my fan is going to sound so stupid because of, you know, of your intelligent, you know, it's a remaking of the vampire uh, legends and the bl- blending of these, you know, uh, genres together. Um, I really enjoyed just the setting of the place. I, I enjoyed, you know, you took this story. Uh, uh, vampires uh, invading the culture. These, you know, the, the Karate Kid moving across the country kind of storyline. Uh, you know, kid fish out of water, and you set it in this weird hippie carnival beach culture. You know, and and then you have this, you know, this eighties, you know, Miami Vice trench coat. I said earlier, you know, walking around, you know, trying to be cool. The feathered hair. You know, let's let's have you know flower. You know. Um, Hawaiian shirt all over my pajamas 
whatever was going on with uh, Corey Haim later on there. But yeah, I, I just really enjoyed the setting. It was so festive and so you know diverse at times when you had you know you went to the dark side of town and then you had the bright carnivals and you go to the you know the, everybody who lived around the town was kind of like hippies. You know, it was it was really interesting uh, where how they placed this thing in a, in geographically. You know, and if you think about it, you know, a lot of times when you think of that kind of beachy culture, right? I mean, you are thinking things like Karate Kid in yeah. the '80s, or you're thinking about, I mean, even going back to the 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 six the '50s and '60s with you know beach blanket bingo and you know all those types of they're giving the the seedy ocean front i mean you're you're yeah. getting th- th- this place is probably a little bit more run down you know boardwalk than, than what we're used to seeing you know i got a little bit of jaws vibe too you know with you know there's like this dark side of the town happening you know just like you know they're, they're keeping things going even though you know there's all these missing kids and murders and stuff but Everybody's got a dirt bike, so I mean that's just standard I mean, '80s. Everybody's got a dirt bike, man. <laughs> I mean, when you said Karate Kid, I miss Johnny. He's got the dirt bike. That's right. <laughs> oh my goodness! I don't even know how to do a transition now. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just move on to our pan section. I know Graham's house is kind of wild. I don't know about his kitchen. I don't even want to touch anything as well. Let alone anything cooked in there. <laughs> I don't think he keeps his tanks in there. Just in that one room. Especially anything he's cooked. Yeah. No. no, no. <laughs> uh, well, I'm first on paying. And part of the reason I was laughing is earlier as you were like, you know, you were, you know, felt underwhelmed by your own fan. Um, we're about to reach new levels of stupidity. So here we go. <laughs> the last 30 minutes is just paint by number. I mean, I, I I know there's some there's some there's some really cool death scenes in there, but the the rest of the movie is so interesting, it's so quirky. They're doing creative, inventive things, and the last thirty minutes is just paint by numbers, eighties action stuff. I when I, I remembered that being really epic, tense, and then we get to it, and I'm like, what on earth? What are we doing? <laughs> I mean, the rest of the movie is so stylish. It yeah. really is. And it's really creative. Schumacher's doing interesting things. He's playing with vampire stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, holy water totally works. I'm like, I thought we were mixing it up. <laughs> yeah. So, that, I mean, well, I mean the I, garlic didn't work. Yeah, he did, he did the one thing. But, okay, but, but it wasn't just that he was using the traditional vampire stuff. It was just traditional 80s, let's run around a lot. Yeah, you know, all we needed was some Arnold one-liners. Well, we um, got some of those. Yeah, so yeah we'll I get mean, to those quotes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I was just disappointed with like pretty much the last entire thirty minutes of the movie was was a little bit of a bummer. It wasn't boring, but it was uninspired. It was. It was. A bit, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, my pan has to do with, uh, you know, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna propose something here. What if Grandpa was the Van Helsing in the town? What if he was the secret guy who knew what was going on, but he couldn't find that alpha vampire? He couldn't find that main one. Max had eluded him, and then that's. That kind of leads from my panel. What was going on with Grandpa? They had no <laughs> idea what to do with this guy. You know, is what was his deal? I mean, he was a hippie in a taxidermy <laughs> with, you know, that pot plant growth thing. And, and he was a ladies' man, you know. He's, he got the ladies on the side. But wait, <laughs> hold, on, hold on, wait a second. What if going to see the Widow Johnson is code for vampire hunting? Well, yeah. I mean, there there is no right. Widow Johnson. Yeah. Right. I mean, but what if that would have been, what if that would have been that third act? <laughs> Grandpa pulls in, you know, and you saw his vehicle all, all jacked up, you know. What if he would have purposely had that, you know, all done just for, 
I've been hunting this guy for years. I've been tracking him. I mean, you know, that's what all this taxidermy, all this crazy weird stuff around the house is about. Yeah, that that would have like been it. cool. But yeah, but what but what was his deal? I mean, really in this movie. He was just <laughs> I don't know. Just an excuse to get them out west, I guess. There you go. It almost feels like a like a like there's like a missing scene or something. Like there's a yeah. little something else to Grandpa that we just don't. Yeah, get there's to. something we don't know about. Yeah. Yeah, they're not telling us, and yeah, uh, that's that's my that's just my fan filler right there. Yeah. Grandpa's Van Helsing. Yeah. Well, that, he's, that, he's obviously aware of everything that goes on. You know, from the from I mean, I don't want to go into quotes, but I mean, he makes numerous comments about the murder capital of the world and you know all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's like he has an idea about this. So, it's like he's he's knowledgeable. But that's kind of a sideways fan because your, your pain is that you didn't get more of this character. Yeah. He's, he's an interesting guy and you wanted more. That I mean, that's, you know, that's a little bit of a fan still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, A minus, I mean. Yeah. There you go. All right. My pain, guys, is really easy. Corey Haim's outfits were just plain distracting. <laughs> They're great, Sam. I mean, they were so distracting. With everything else dark and gritty and, you know, leather and all this stuff. And then, boom, born to shop. You know, I mean, come on. <laughs> See, I, was, I, I know I'm I, younger than you guys. I was alive then. I don't know anyone who dressed like that. Only in the movies, and I guess that's that's my thing. You know, they were from Phoenix, all right? If they had been from California originally and moved to a different part, I could kind of get that, that costuming. But they're coming from Phoenix, Arizona. I don't exactly see this as the fashionista capital of the world in, in the 80s, okay? Right, Sorry if we have gonna, any listeners from Phoenix. I'm going I'm to make some statements here. Um, I, I, you know, like I said, growing up in this era, there were a few flamboyant uh, folks at my school who dressed this way sometimes. Um, not often, not all the time. You know, for school dances or for you know a, a, a big day or something at school. You know, getting an award or something. You they would come in with the with the pink shirt and the pastel you know suit coat. <sighs> It was it was there, but like you said, not every day. But he was, you know, he was out going comic book shopping in the in in the trench coat. You know, that even was his pajamas were loud. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I said. Even he had Hawaiian he had Hawaiian shirt pajamas. He had Magnum PI pajamas. Yeah, that was my runner up. Pan was that whole scene in the comic book shop. Those were not even the issue numbers he was holding. <laughs> Superman 39 that is not 39 that's like 388 what are you talking about they couldn't <laughs> so, afford 39 yeah they couldn't afford 39 no <laughs> you know that was my runner up hand but hey well here's here's the thing though Sam was at least the reference correct was at least the references he was making correct I'm not for sure. By that point in time, we already had Red Kryptonite and all that stuff. That would have been in the 60s. And those were all 80s books he was holding. So. Sammy was already in a blind rage. He wasn't yeah, with that, you. Yeah, Sammy was. <laughs> the, 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 the Rainbow Kryptonite stuff. But that was like the 60s, man. So it was jewel and white and green. and that, That's what they kind of called it. You had the jewel Kryptonite, white Kryptonite, green Kryptonite, red Kryptonite, gold Kryptonite. And that was like a 60s thing. He's holding up a bunch of 80s books. I mean, no, no. Sorry. <laughs> well, guys, you think we should maybe follow the yellow kryptonite road to our award section? Nerd alert! I like that one. That, that was good improv there. <laughs> well, I'm leading off with the best performance. Um, I'm going to go pretty. I don't know how obvious this is because there's a lot of really strong performances in here. But I really enjoyed it. Jason Patrick as Michael Mikey. Um, you know, his conflicted dive into being a vampire. You know, he's smitten with Jamie Gertz, as we all were in the 80s. He's, you know, at odds with Kiefer Sutherland, 
as we all were in the 80s. I mean, he's just the <laughs> coolest guy in the room. But, uh, you know, he's a protective brother, you know, to, to, to the Corey, the good Corey. And, um, <laughs> nope. I, I just really enjoyed his, his, he really showed a lot of emotion, a lot of range there. I, I liked his, his role. Nice. I, I'm glad somebody said that because I, I think this is peak Jason Patrick. Uh, I, I mean, I've seen him in other stuff that I've, I've liked and I've enjoyed his performance in. He was even okay in Speed 2 that I made fun of last week. Um, <laughs> he, he just suffered because he had to be compared to Keanu. <laughs> um, but I, I, but I want to go Kiefer Sutherland because I, I think he stole the movie. Um, he's, he's, got a, he's got more screen presence by far than anyone else in this movie. And even in a role where he's clearly the bad guy, you can see that he has like star charisma at a level that no one else has. Yeah, really. And, and he's yeah. doing sort of the most interesting performance in the movie. Like Jason Patrick is doing what he's what absolutely perfect what he needs to do for this part. But Kiefer Sutherland is giving them more and and doing very interesting things in the part. So I'm going Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, I, I'm gonna echo Jamie on that. I da, Kiefer Sutherland is David, right? There he brings this menace to the character and you feel one way about David through the whole movie. You know, there's that rough edge to him. But I think that's important because when his death occurs, you know, along with the fangs, he also loses the five o'clock shadow. Um, You know, and even though that's kind of funny when you think about it, campiness a little bit, but it also shows you he really was just a kid also. He was as much a victim of Max as Star and Laddie and, and the rest of them. You know, even though he he was the kind of the leader and, and he had this edge to him, he was really a victim too. And if we didn't get to see how rough he was through the beginning and the middle of the movie, you know, e- even though, like I said, oh, oh, they they shaved him after he died. I guess I don't know. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. That was an interesting choice uh, in terms of filming, but I think it it had more meaning to it, and I like that. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't think, okay. I don't think Dwayne agrees, but we should move on. That's all right. <laughs> no, I mean you know Kiefer was doing quite a bit uh, more than than you know anybody else in the movie. There, you, you saw a lot more depth in the eyes and, and, and the subtle stuff, and it, it was really interesting too. You know when the when the Samson the death scene occurred, he completely changed. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was so so neat to see how that transformation happened. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, same. what's your best scene. <laughs> All right. So, so, so Dwayne didn't like my performance. Jamie's not going to like my scene because it happens in that last 30 minutes in the movie. <laughs> um, so the scene that has always stuck out for me for humor and spectacle is the death of Paul, the vampire twisted sister. All right, in that bathtub of garlic and holy water. (laughs) Not only do we get to see a very different way for these vamps to get their due, but I love that the Frog Brothers are actually rescued by the dog, by Nanook. Uh, So along with Sam from I Am Legend, we have another movie pet for the Hall of Fame. So... I, I didn't hate the last. I mean, I didn't hate those last scenes. And I thought that and that was, I, I talked about this from Cool Deaths. That's the one I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and that but, would have been another award if we were doing an episode specific, been best, best vamp death. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to jump in. I, I think there's a, a more interesting version of this. And, and, and this is where I was a little disappointed with the last 30 minutes the assault on the underground mansion. I thought was a was a much more interesting action scene because because mm-hmm. once again they're sort of playing with the vampire stuff like you know I thought they I thought they got in coffins this whole place was a giant coffin I mean <laughs> and and you see the two tracks again right because like the whole thing with Star is you know it's it's darker and it's creepier than what's going on with the Frog Brothers you know hunting vampires and you know they're being goofy and silly and and we've got the two track thing that's completely working and they kill you know. 
one of the vampires will be named later in this episode. Um, and then, then they completely freak out, you know? And we realize, like, sometimes they die differently, you know? I don't know. I just, I felt like there was a, it, it, it was the, a more inspired uh, action type scene. More, more creative and stylish than the, yeah. like, although that, that you're 100% right. I love that death scene in the bathtub. That's, <laughs> And, and then in that attack, you also got the creepy feet. Oh, yes. Yeah. You got the creepy that's... feet hanging, right? Yeah. The bat feet. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, I'm going to uh, kind of tinker with Jamie's uh, nerves there a little bit, too, and uh, go just the whole last scene, that attack on the house. It, it was, you know, a paint-by-numbers anything, but it really brought back some nostalgia with that. You know, like, oh, yeah, this was what it was. To have an action scene in the 80s, you had bam, 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 can't be dialogue, these weird explosions, these crazy deaths, you know, this, these little, and, and they try to throw the emotional stuff in the middle, you know, every, every couple seconds there. And, uh, but really what got me with that whole scene is Max's reveal. You know, because earlier they tried it with the garlic. Now the garlic don't work. We, we found that out in the bathtub. The garlic didn't work, but he didn't try the holy water. And they put water on him, but no holy water. But I, I just really enjoyed that last spectacle. It was fun. It, it's not boring. It's not, no, in the it's least. not boring at all. <laughs> it's, 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 such an, it's such an 80s thing. And you always talk about what a movie tries to be. Did it achieve what it set out to be? Yep. See, see that, that's where I don't agree, because I think he was aiming for more. For the rest of the movie, I think they were being there was a, I think it was a much more inspired movie. It was like, ah, let's wrap this thing up. Let's wrap it up. But look how this goes. I mean, Me? it was it was so, such eighties like tropes. They should have they should have ended on a freeze frame with all of them like giving thumbs up or something. Me? And laughing, they could be laughing. And laughing, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, they did bring in a kid vampire. All right. There's a quote for that. All right, well, let's, well, let's get closer <laughs> to that. Um, next up is the best character, and I get to go first. Um, and I'm going to cheat. I'm going with the, the Brothers Frog. Um, <laughs> they are ridiculous, and I had, as a young person watching this movie, I had no idea what these characters really were. They are just a bunch of, you know, misfit wannabes who have no idea what they're doing. And I really thought these were like the JV monster hunters. I mean, these guys, they're sure they're young, but they know what's up. You know, they know about the vampires. They've been hunting vampires after school for, you know, forever. And, and they don't know. anything. And, and they're so over the top with how cool they want to be. You know, I got a kick out of the brothers frog whenever they were on scene. <laughs> All right. Um, what's so funny is the way you open that because in my notes I have okay. This is probably a bit of a cheat uh, so, <laughs> because I don't think you can pick one without the other. Oh. You can't pick Edgar without Alan, and I don't think I really got the joke until this rewatch with the Edgar and the Alan deal. Um, <laughs> and, and I guess as as a kid, I I didn't pay attention to that stuff. I guess, or even as a teenager. Um, but it's the combination that makes those characters stand out. You know, it, it doesn't hurt that that Edgar and Alan are pretty much stand-ins for two of my best friends growing up. Uh, they pretty much is how they acted, dressed, the whole nine. Uh, they didn't hunt vampires, but that they liked that stuff. Um, but there were all of those 80s action movie tropes with those two characters. And that's what Schumacher wanted. Like, he even told Feldman, listen, go buy all, get all these movies, Stallone, Schwarzenegger. This is what I want you to be. I want you to butch it up for me. And so he started talking like this, you know, and, and that's kind of how all that came about. I mean, these two guys, they, they own a comic book store by day and kill bloodsuckers at night. I mean, that's that's an 80s movie right there by itself, you know. Hypothetically. We kill vampires by night. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it's more they're a legend in their own mind. Yes. 
Well, I, I swerved a little bit on that best character. I mean, you guys probably have the best one because they were quite some characters. But um, I'm going to go with really our gateway into this movie is, you know, Corey Haim, uh, Sam. He he is our guide through this adventure. Um, he 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 took us, you know, he takes us step by step. You know, losing his brother to the to the vampires, trying to trying to retrieve him back, getting you know tangled up with the Frog Brothers, trying to figure out what's going on. You know, just being a kid out of his league, not knowing what's going on and how to deal. Um, I, I really felt felt some for him. It just hit me. He's the Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> he screams all the time. He runs constantly. He's in the middle of all the action. He's Jamie Lee. <laughs> Jamie Lee Corham. Right. No, I, I do want to back you up. I, 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 clearly the brother's frog is the right answer and you're wrong. But um, what, what, I, I, what I did like about Sam is that I, I liked the, I think it was the most clever thing they did with him, was like the way he was also like, you know, kind of like, you know, my brother's a vampire. We got to kill him. You know, like, oh my gosh, my brother's a vampire. What are we going to do? But also like, that's my brother. We got to, you know, I, I, lo- right. I love the teaching with yeah. the, diff- the way his attitude would rotate. I, I, thought, I thought that was very interesting, interestingly done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a great job of, of guiding us through this, through this uh, adventure, mm-hmm. this story. Yeah, he really did. Yeah. Well, I get to lead off Next on best quote, and uh, I'm so glad I do because I only have the one, and it's an exchange between Sam and Michael, and it's the reveal when Sam starts figuring it out, and he says, "You're a vampire. I knew it." And Mike denies it. He says, "No, I'm not." Sam says, "So what are you, the flying nun?" <laughs> <laughs> If you can have a throwback to Sally Field, I mean, I'm always game. <laughs> and the really funny thing about this script is there are so many callbacks to 60s television. Yeah. I mean, there really is when you think about some of the stuff that's thrown out. So it only gives you an idea about the script writing, right? And, and how much of that was, you know, a staple on our, you know, snow day and sick days. You know, yeah. you, you had the reruns on, you know, TBS and, and you know, these, these yep. WG and these other channels. Okay. All right. Go. Jamie, do, do you want me to go ahead since you, uh, or do you want to well, go ahead and do yours? Well, I, I, I'm going to leave you the obvious one. And if you don't use it, then we can, we can just all say it together because okay. there's another great one. Um, so I like, there's a <laughs> exchange between Sam and the Frog Brothers that I just love. So, so Sam is relating the story of what happened when they go to Max's house. And so he says, and then his doctor chasing my mom like the hounds of hell and vampires everywhere. And Edgar says, we've been aware of some very serious vampire activity in this town for some time. But Alan jumps in. Yeah, Santa Carla's become a haven for the undead. Edgar again. As a matter of fact, we're almost certain ghouls and werewolves occupy high positions at City Hall. But Alan turns back to Sam. Kill your brother. You'll feel better. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mercy. All right. So, I think my youngest son has taken that quote. <laughs> You'll feel better. So. All right. Um, I think with best quote, I mean, there's some really great ones, some great one liners, some good zippy ones. I think the one that cracks me up, though, because it's Edgar Frog at his best. His, his wanting to be the coolest dude in the room, even though he knows he's not. I think I should warn you all. When a vampire bites it, it's never a pretty sight. No two bloodsuckers go out the same way. Some yell and scream. Some go quietly. Some explode. Some implode. But all will try to take you with them. You know, and it's like, I mean, he's just just trying to be as as cool and macho as he possibly can, and this is Feldman trying to do it. So, yeah. <laughs> Sammy, thanks for doing the voice. I can't help it. Every time, it, even my my honorable mention for him, I can't help but hear that voice in my head. You know, 
All right. Well, we, we I think we missed for me the this is the one line that actually stuck with me from when I was a kid. It's mm-hmm. the last it's the last line from Grandpa. One thing about living in Santa Carla, I, could, I never could stomach all the vampires. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just a tantalizing thing, right? Like it, it's commonly known vampires. Yeah. You know? yeah. Can I go with one more frog one? This was, I, this was the one I was kind of tied with because it's, it's when they let the mask slip for a second. So it's, it's after they've run away scared from the underground mansion. Alan Frog, we blew it, man. We lost it. You, and you kind of want to do the Bill Paxton voice there. Um, and Edgar Frog is, shut up, Alan. We unraveled in the face of the enemy. Edgar's like, it's not our fault. They pulled a mind scramble on us. They opened their eyes and talked. <laughs> <laughs> The mind scramble. Oh. eyes and talk. <laughs> you did the other two little one-liners from the frogs. Also, is when and and, and I, I can't say that this one exactly the way it is. But when Alan gets his best line, he goes, "Holy crud! It's the attack of Eddie Munster." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was good. Because see, there, there's Eddie Munster, and then Edgar with great. The blood sucking Brady Bunch. <laughs> I mean, weren't those two just the quintessential '80s action duo? <laughs> well, that's why I think most of the people that that watched it with me loved it because that's what we wanted to be. Is yeah, you know, they were they were a mirror for us. We wanted to be '80s action stars at that time. So. Man, when Teenager. I was a kid, I thought I thought the frogs were so cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of things that are cool, it's draft time. And this is the last episode of Tricks and Treats Month. And so you know what we're going to do? We're going to draft the treats half of that. So we're going for best Halloween candies. And this is my pick, so I get to go first. And here's the right answer, guys. I've already got this thing sealed and locked up. The Reezy Cup. When I opened my trick-or-treat bag at the end of the night, if I had some Reese Cups in there, I was a happy guy. Reese Cups, that's the right answer. Moving on. Right. You can buy Reese Cups every day at the store, Jamie. I'm talking Halloween candy. I'm talking the cheap stuff you buy in the big 200-count bag. You <laughs> <laughs> just throw a handful in there. You gotta have the little box of nerds. Yeah. That's a great one. Man. See, but when I was a kid, you didn't buy Reese Cups in individual ones. You always got the two-pack or the four-pack. Yeah. So those yep. little one, those little one-pack one Reese Cups. That, that yeah. was unique. Yeah. That was cool. That was yeah. cool. Yeah. A little uh, solo Reese Cup in your bag. Okay, guys. You, you, you took two off my board right away. Boom, boom. Um, the Nerds was good. That was a good one. Nerds was a good one. That that's yeah. one of my favorite Halloween candies, hands down. It also got me through most of college. <laughs> but um, I think I'm going to have to go with I think M and M's. I love M and M's still to the day. Those just little individual, packs, those little snack size ones. Yeah. You know, and if you got the peanut ones, you were super happy because it wasn't just the regular milk chocolate. You got the peanut M and M's, man. Before they messed with it and made fifty styles of M and M's, right? All right, that's off my list. But you, but like once again, like when I was a kid, you never got those little snack sizes. I had like yep. four, like eight M and M's in them or something, but they were cool. Yeah. Tear the top off, drop the whole thing in your face. I mean, it was. I don't know. Yeah, it was, one hit M and M's. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Here we go. I'm going. I'm going. Here, here you go, Dwayne. Here's one that was a very Halloween specific one. Candy cigarettes. Yes. <laughs> Candy cigarettes were so cool. Yep. And you had your kids to be delinquents. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Be delinquents as children. And how how the culture has changed. <laughs> can't, can't find anything like that. So. Well, I know this is a very Halloween-specific one, and one I always looked forward to, and I don't know why, but they were so great. But I, and I never really got them any other time of the year. Never went myself and picked them up, but I always loved when they were in the bag. You know, when you bring the bag home, you jump it out of the living room floor, and you're sorting through it. You say, oh, there's the sweet tarts. 
Don't believe there you go. Scratch it off. So sweet tarts. Yes. Little sweet, little tart. Right <laughs> 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 in the name, right? All right. Well, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. You, you, you guys kind of went confection. I'm gonna keep with my chocolatey goodness. My favorite candy bar of all time has always been the Kit Kat. And when I got those little two, little pa- two, Kit, two Kats. Kit Kats, man. You know, that that was, you know, or my brother got the two Kit Kats. And then this was fighting words, right? So. <laughs> well, I've got a question for you guys. Because I know you were probably, you had probably stopped trick-or-treating by the time I'd started. Or just did that, that little window. Did you all... <laughs> no, I, I was I, a short I, kid. I trick-or-treated <laughs> as long as I could. <laughs> I, I trick-or-treated too long, too. Um, did you all have the orange Kit Kats? I know you can buy them all the time now. But when I was a kid, they had the orange Kit Kats. I think I think yeah. it was just white chocolate they colored, but yeah, I let my brother keep those. <laughs> I never, I, I never I could probably still shave and, and trick or treat. Not <laughs> I got a kick out of the orange kick. That was on my on my thing, so I'm gonna mark it off because right. we're we're close there. I like uh, it. I, I it. It felt different. Yeah. Um. Okay. This is my last pick. Mm-hmm. Can't blow it. Okay, the, the little bitty, the little bitty two-pack Rolo. Ooh. On the, only got two Rolos in the little bitty Halloween one. Yep. Chocolate and caramel together. Yep. Those were, yeah, that no, those were the high end. Yeah, you, know, you guys are talking about the high end trigger triggers. I'm talking about bottle caps. Yeah. That's not food. <laughs> and I'm talking about little three-pack of this hard just sugar pressed together in the shape of a bottle cap yep i'm talking bottle caps i'm out i, I got a box of those i got a box of those on my shelf right now <laughs> especially nope. the cola ones man the cola ones were the best nope i mean did you eat like did you get the wax lips too i mean that, that's that's not food not fit <laughs> I mean, for human are- consumption but, I mean, but how much of that iconic <laughs> Halloween candy is that? Yeah, I didn't. I, I don't have but the wax on here, but I mean, it was iconic. But everything I had on here iconic was stuff I looked forward to getting. Yeah, I looked forward to getting bottle caps, the sweet tarts, nerds. All right, same. Uh, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish this out with with just a, a, a mainstay, man. Because like Jamie said, you know. Back when we were kids, you couldn't just get these little individual candy bars like you can now. I mean, there's just no way. So, I'm going to round out with a classic Hershey bar. That's just the little individually wrapped Hershey bars, man. I mean, that was that was the good stuff. I'm telling you. So. To, to this day, I still think that the Hershey's miniature... Not, not not the little square one you get in the big miniatures bags now, but that little one with the little four squares on it that you got mm-hmm. at Halloween yep. is the best tasting Hershey bar of all time. Agreed, completely and totally, yeah. entirely. Yeah. It's the only one I'll eat consistently. Yeah, yep, the best. Yeah. It's the best, guys. I still got some strong ones on my list. You want to do some honorable mentions? Go for it. Okay, Jamie, lead us off with some. Let's start okay, to, start uh, going around with honorable mentions. Right, this is a one that is special for two reasons. One, because I like them. And two, because my grandmother would give them out frequently. Sugared orange slices. And I don't mean like actual yep. oranges. I, I mean know like what you the, mean. The candy orange slices, but, but candy, not the regular yep. one. Ones with the sugar on the outside. The sugared orange slices. Yep. Yep. Those yep. were great. Those, 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 were, great. Were, those were great. What about the little two-inch Twizzlers you would get? That's on my list. Oh, those, yeah. Those were good. Um, you know, I know one that's on my best Halloween candy list, but nobody else wanted it, so it always made me happy. I love the little peanut butter Mary Janes that were in the the, the black or the orange, and nobody liked them but me. So that just yeah, made life wonderful because they could just pass them to me. I'm like, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that little yeah. peanut butter and nougat, man. I dug it. The consistency's wrong, man. They they tasted <laughs> okay, but the consistency's wrong. I'm out. You could have had all mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that texture was weird. Yeah. All right, back to you, Dwayne. No, it's back to me, isn't it? Um, okay, the little bitty square Milky Ways you got. 
Those were really good. And, and when we were kids, they, that was the only time you got them. You can get them all the time now. But when yeah. we, our era, only got those in October. What about that popcorn ball? Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. See, I even had someone in, in my neighborhood when I was growing up that did caramel apples and oh, would wow. put in the, in the kids' bags. Um, and, and it was a reputable family, so, you know, mom didn't throw that away immediately. You know, <laughs> no with, with, with homemade goods, you know, no, yeah, no razor blades. <laughs> oh, I hated when that scare happened, yeah. All right, my, my last one are the were the like I said the, these are more common now. A lot, of, a lot of the Halloween awesomeness is just year round now, but uh, the little laffy taffies you would get yes, at Halloween. You're great. Yeah, yep. yeah, the little laffy taffies were great. Um, you know, and, and I don't know if you guys have noticed, but most of mine are like you know fruit sweets. I love I love the tangy fruit sweets um, that you get. And my favorite one is the generic. It's a, a totally generic fruit-flavored hard candy. It was it was looked like a you know like you would have a butterscotch or a peppermint wrapper, mm-hmm. but it would be fruit-flavored like a Jolly Rancher. Those were so good, except for the grape ones. They taste like cough syrup. <laughs> I, I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> the grape ones were gross. Yeah. Oh. Say wrap us up. All right, you know, all the ones that I, I, I kind of chose were kind of a blast from the past. But, you know, since I've been teaching, I've put together a lot of candy treat bags. And every once in a while, you'll have a couple pieces left over. And I always love when the little packs of bright crawlers are left over because I love the sour, gummy uh, kind of taste of those. And so I've always get excited. Ooh, there's a pack left over. That's for me. <laughs> oh, those those were the neon gummy worms. Yeah, the neon yeah. sour gummy worms. Yeah, yep. those were fun. Yep. Yeah, those were those are tons like those. of stuff. All right, before before we move on, I've got two things. Uh, one one is an idea I want to float, and one is something I want to brag us on. Brag on all of us for for not doing. Pixie sticks, are they actually good? No, <laughs> no, never liked them. I always Pixie ate sticks. them, but I was never even sure as I was eating if they were actually good. <laughs> Alright. Pixie sticks were sugar flavored cocaine as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Last thing, I'm proud of us. Nobody said candy corn. No. Candy, candy corn gross. is now or never has been good. No, I love candy corn, but I do. I was th- talking to Kinder today about I wanted some candy corn. I didn't have any this year, so Well Jamie, we've heard him talk about the movies on his show, so uh, we'll, there we'll you go. Go. <laughs> Mary Jane's a candy corn. <laughs> We we could have just you know shared bags and everybody would have had, we we don't we would all been okay we've been no we fighting yeah. <laughs> the fist fights on Halloween that's yep. great I love it. I love it. I love it. that's great well guys one thing that we know is definitely a sweet sweet treat is when we get to see Keanu in action and especially when we get to connect him to the movie we just reviewed so where does Keanu Reeves connect to the Lost Boys Jamie. Well, we're going to go here with the frenemy duo. Frenemy, frenemy duos have a long and storied history in cinema. And there are some epic ones, and especially the 80s and 90s, that are memorable to me. And this is my Keanu connection, so that's going to do whatever I want. Um, we've got Tango and Cash, right? Riggs and Murtaugh. Turner and Hooch. I don't remember. Johnny Utah, whatever, whatever you know, Patrick Swayze's name was in Point, in point Break. Um and nobody, there's not a soul who remembers Patrick Swayze's name in that movie. It's, Patrick. Um, it's just Patrick Swayze with weird hair. Um, we got Thelma and Louise, the grumpy old men. I love the grumpy old men. But here in The Lost Boys, we have a parallel set of duos. We have the Corys, plus a spare. And there's David and Michael in the older set. Now, a bit player in The Lost Boys got excluded from both sets of the duos. Alex Winter was poor Marco, the first vampire to bite it. But he leveled up just two years later when he moved from being an extra vampire with a cool mullet to being a wild stallion with a better mullet named Bill S. Preston in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. 
So yes, of course, Alex Winter is this week's Keanu Connection. <gasps> Kaboom. Well, that was a most excellent Very connection. Very much. <laughs> most and, obvious. And, and did you notice they, they listed him as Alexander Winter? In the in the the credits, yeah, so. the credits says Alexander Winter. Yeah. Yes, you're fancying it up. They're That's trying to right. throw you off, Jamie. That's what it is. They, they knew. <laughs> they knew. Here's a like, we're gonna throw Jamie off. See if see if he <laughs> can't catch this. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I, oh. I hope you've had as much fun uh, with this movie as we have had reviewing it and discussing all of the ins and outs there. Um, a very, very entertaining episode, uh, at least to record. I hope it's fun to go back and listen to. Also, next up, Sam, I think you have an interesting pick for us. Yes. You know, guys, every week on this show, Jamie works feverishly to find some way <laughs> to connect our episode to Keanu Reeves. <laughs> so I had this really great idea to help him out with my next pick. Plus, there's that little bit of my DC fan showing. So next week, we're going to be actually watching Keanu Reeves as Constantine in the 2005 movie of the same name, essentially. Um, so uh, Rachel Weisz, Tilda Swinton, uh, once again, early roles for, for both of those actresses that, that brought them into my view. Um, it's been quite some time since I revisited this one. So I'm very interested to see how Constantine looks through some older and probably more jaded fanboy eyes. <laughs> All right. Now, Constantine is currently streaming for free. If you have a subscription to HBO Max um, on Prime, Vudu, etc. at Infinitum uh, for $3.99. Uh, you can pick it up there for a rental, I'm sure, a purchase, if it's not on your shelf. Um, I think I've seen it floating around at some of your local retailers in some combo packs with some other pretty interesting movies if you want to pick it up there. So keep an eye out for Constantine. And as we prepare to watch Keanu in Constantine, Jamie, what are we going to do? We're going to wonder why on earth Keanu is cast to play a character based explicitly to look like Sting as we keep it nerdy. And as we prepare to watch Constantine, Jamie, what are we going to do? We're going to wonder why on earth Keanu was cast to play a character designed explicitly, explicitly to look like Sting as we keep it nerdy.